0: Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Kimmy Katiti, who is an audio professional, or a professional who works professionally in the audio industry, and also has recently been speaking out against critical race theory on her YouTube channel to some moderate amount of traction. She comes at critical race theory from a particular perspective of somebody who grew up in Africa and moved to the United States to do her university degree and then stayed here to work and to live. She also got into what we call wokeness during her college years and then over the last couple of years proceeded to talk herself out of it by re-evaluating her first principles one of which being forgiveness. In this conversation, we talk about her journey into and out of wokeness and what forgiveness means to her and what it might mean for us as a society. If you don't know her, do go check out her channel. If you already know her, be assured that we get extra insight into her person and what she is about. So without further ado, here is Kimmy Katiti. Hey. Hey.
1: Great to meet you.
0: Good to meet you, too. I've been listening to you all morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, dear. I don't think I got everything, but I think I got the the last 15 or so.
1: Okay. I mean, I think I actually have put out 15 so far.
0: Besides your skateboard videos.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So great to finally talk to you. I, I have been enjoying your interviews as well. I'm like, whoa. You're going into, like, the <laughs> the depths.
0: <laughs> There's like, a lot of places to go right now.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man.
0: Anything that st- st- stood out to you or any guest or conversation?
1: Um, I really have been enjoying your conversations um, with people who have detransitioned. I think that's very rare. Uh, um, so, yeah, going there and kind of just, like, talking to those people, I think that's really interesting. And I really loved your um, interview with Eric Smith. Um, that was great. I loved the the recent one. I think it was about a week ago with uh, James Lindsay and Wokal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That one was very, very, very heady. I was like, whoa. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, that overlaps with what you've been talking about.
1: Yes. Yeah. A little bit. It was. I learned so much more, though.
0: Those guys are nothing if not informative.
1: Yeah. I mean, wisdom, if I've ever seen it. I was just like, this is going to have to take hours to digest. But Bravo, great job.
0: It sounds like you've been on several podcasts and interviews recently. So I don't know to what extent you've divulged your history, where you come from. You've mentioned it. Mm-hmm. In your recent videos, but I was wondering if you'd be open to giving us insight into how you ended up where you are.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I have a lot of family there, had a lot of family there, um, and I still have a lot of family there. Um, and I lived most of my life in Africa. So I lived in Uganda till I was about like ten. Um, moved to Tanzania for about three or four years. So like for a chunk of my middle school. And then I went to, uh, South Africa. Why did I blank on that? I moved to South Africa for like seven years. That was like a major part of my life. Um, a lot of this had to do with like my parents' jobs. So my mom has been in the airline industry for like over 30 years. So she would manage different regions and that caused us to kind of move around a lot and then my dad um is an engineer in South Africa. he was uh kind of working on a project to sort of create fiber optic cables around the coast of South Africa so that that was the reason I moved there for a long time. He's still there he still lives there and then when I was nineteen and out of college, out of high school, I came to the United States, came back to the United States to study um go to college, and I studied audio production for. Four years at the Art Institutes of California. And, um, yeah, I've been here for eight years total. So another four years after college, just been living and working out here in Los Angeles. And, yeah, that's sort of my timeline.
0: Are you using your audio engineering degree in your profession?
1: I am. Yeah. It's not quite... Engine- I'm not in engineering right now, but I am kind of behind the scenes in the music industry.
0: Okay, music industry. Because yeah. you yeah. could have also said Hollywood of some.
1: Right, uh, exactly. Yeah.
0: Are you heavily invested in music yourself?
1: I am. Um, I'm also an artist, a creator. Um, I like to sort of songwrite, produce my own stuff. It's very like underground, but I have a few pieces out on, um, Spotify. Um, I was more involved in the Ugandan music scene in like 2012, um, kind of performed a little bit and collaborated a little bit. Um, and I also paint. So I kind of have been an artist, visual artist as well and getting deeper into that, uh, the, the older I get.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have Africa on your mind a lot?
1: um, Yes. I mean, it is a huge part of like my consciousness, if that's a, a way to put it. Um, a lot of my experience, like my childhood, uh, that's where I spent a lot of my childhood. A lot of my friends are there. My family is there. Um, I only have one cousin here with me in L.A. So I'm always constantly like I'm I'm attached to Africa, like I'm always checking in on them. I'm always paying attention to what's going on in Uganda. Um, and yeah, it's always on my mind, honestly. It's very striking to have grown up in Africa and then moved to the United States because like the differences are infinite. Um, I would say socially, I do tend to have more relationships back home just because that's where my family is, all my relatives are there. So I do love, I love my family. Like I love my folks, I love my kinfolk. Um, but in terms of infrastructure, for example, I take a lot of things, um, I have a lot of gratitude for some of the things I have access to here in the United States. Uh, For example, like the postal system. Um, It's very, like, I can't express how hard it is to send things in Africa, or to not have like mail intercepted or like opened or like to travel and not have your luggage like opened up and have stuff stolen. It's so commonplace and then, you know, stuff like that in the United States. The corruption isn't as prevalent, not to say that there's no corruption in the United States, but it's just like the degree to which the corruption exists is kind of extreme. Um, The authoritarian sort of dictatorship in Africa as well is something that's very um, striking too. I think another reason why I'm very adamant about speaking out, um, I'm sure you heard like last year. in the uh, Ugandan elections, our president in Uganda, um, I think he censored Twitter or he, he kind of blocked the internet during the elections, just so that no one can say that this is a rigged election. Like even now, talking about him is kind of scary because like I don't want my family to be in trouble, but mm. it's no, it's stuff that needs to be said, and and those sorts of things are real. Like talking about the president of Rwanda as well could like get you in trouble. Um, even overseas, like in the States. So I try not to talk too much about that, but mm-hmm. those are the kind of differences. Like I think about that stuff a lot. I think about the 1994 genocide in Rwanda um, and, and how I see sort of like some parallels in the sort of tribalism in the United States. Um, yeah. So they're just like on the surface, things that come yeah. to
2: mind.
0: Yeah. There, there's been recent... Um... This is kind of lame. It's Twitter drama, but there's been some recent forays, kind of bar fights about using the term genocide uh, when describing certain rhetoric that is very decidedly anti-white or against whiteness. And Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's worrying people, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, people don't want to overreact to that. But you do see some similarities in the rhetoric or in the, I guess you said tribalism?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the heightened tensions, the sort of irreconcilable attitudes between the two camps, if not more camps, I don't know. Um, There are two major ones right now. Um, It's very, what I do is I listen to people who have gone through something similar. So people who are immigrants from countries where they have had um, attacks. Uh, what do they say? A lot of them say this feels a lot like the precursor to something that's violent. Now, I don't want to, I I don't want to say genocide, but like genocide is a possibility. We're not throwing it off the table. It could just be skirmishes. It could be more riots. It could be a few like battles here and there. But also genocide. You could throw that in there. It's not too extreme to think that. If anything, I think it's safe to to kind of confront that. Conclusion in in yourself like is it worth it if this leads to genocide like is it really worth it? Um, Compared to other countries like do you want to take the risk and be like, let's not talk about genocide and then it happens like
2: Hmm.
1: uh, Think about the Rwanda case Um, Literally all it took was a signal and before that there were a lot of riots. There was a lot of fighting Um, and then all it took was one radio radio signal to say cut down the tall trees and people just got out and they just started killing people with like knives, pangas is what they call them. Um, and 800,000 people died in 100 days. 800,000. Hmm. To fathom that someone could just wake up and like kill their neighbor is insane. But what was the precursor? Heightened tensions. So you never know. You can't just be like, oh, no, we're we're too good for that. You never know.
0: Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it is part of the human condition. Exactly. Uh, to go completely... Ape shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: To what degree was the last year uh, following the death of George Floyd? Uh, to what degree does that did that inform your decision to speak out, or how has that informed you? Uh, especially last summer, what were you seeing and what were you feeling when you watched a lot of the racial reckoning, as they uh, some people call it?
1: Yeah, my first, I mean, when I, I have never actually watched the video of George Floyd, just because as a personal rule, I don't watch like real life death. Um, but I, I, you know, I've read what happened a lot. I've kind of seen the before and after. Um, but I cried a lot, like in that first week, and even before that with Ahmaud Aubrey um that was just so sad like like seeing seeing what was going to happen I couldn't like actually watch the video I'd cut it off um that was I cried. I cried I cried I couldn't stop crying um and I remember it was was like May 29th when like it was all over social media May 29th 2020 and I think uh like a, a that same day it was the memorial for Ravi Zacharias, who now is a kind of a controversial name because of his his history, but he was a big apologist apologetics guy, and um I was just super emotional so hmm. I took a lot of that weight on. I definitely did see myself in George Floyd, but I had that whole forgiveness thing already embedded because I came out of I came out of sort of this racism is off the table when it comes to forgiveness. I came out of that mindset in like 2019, um, through 2018 to 2019. So the first story I posted that weekend when George Floyd was like all over social media was like, you know, look into the life of Nelson Mandela. I think this is a great time for the nation to come together and like kind of bond and forgiveness. And um, I, I was kind of shocked that the response following that comment and following a lot of the other things I said, was just like what are you talking about like everyone was just like what do you even mean like that's stupid like why would you forgive like that's just so insulting to the life of like george floyd and to what we're trying to fight for right now and i remember a lot of people like naturally as an organic thing they were like coming together like even the police and like protesters were like hugging and people criticized that they were like how dare you like come to peace with these people. So that sort of natural human instinct was barred. Um, And then I, after that, maybe like a month later, like I kind of went through my own healing journey. The crying kind of stopped and everything. And I was in a church uh, racial reconciliation group. And they, they split us into white and black kind of breakout rooms, like the black church congregants and so on and so forth. And everyone, I feel like there was an assumption that just because we were black, we were all kind of going to be on the same page. And, and no one said anything about forgiveness. And I was like, uh, how about forgiveness? I kind of mentioned this up in the, in the group. And there was like one minute of dead silence. Um, keep in mind, this is a church racial reconciliation thing. Um, and, and they were just like the, one of the one of the elders was just like, I can't forgive. Like, I can't do it. And that was like, I, I understand, it's painful, I, I have just been crying, like I totally feel you, but this has been a huge part of, of like, a lot of freedom fighting movements, um, the, the element of forgiveness, this is not an idea I just came up with, the idea of Christianity itself is founded on forgiveness, so I just, I just knew something was off after that, um, I couldn't attend any more of those like racial reconciliation meetings, I felt like we just danced around the issue and no one actually brought Christianity into that discussion. It was all about white fragility or like reading all these, these like extra material. Um, But people didn't, I think the pastors were afraid to kind of mention that because you're kind of telling, you know, the pastors are white, you're telling these African American congregants like, and it's time to forgive. It just sounds insensitive. But I think that's a lack of appreciation for the gift of salvation itself as you know a religious thing. and then also um, it's not true empathy because you do want people to let go of that pain, and you do want people to heal and you want the nation to come together. So I didn't understand, I couldn't reconcile the the, the Christianity you know being put outside of this discussion. it was just it did not make any sense to me. so that's how I. That kind of led me down the whole, like, I need to say something because no one wants to talk about forgiveness. It's literally a taboo. And this is so weird because Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu were all about that, like, what, 20 something years ago. So, yeah, that was was how it went down for me. How about you? I'm curious to know your thoughts or like your experience.
0: I... That's that's a big question. I'll answer that. I just wanted to say that hearing you say that makes a lot of sense of where you're coming from in your videos and your critiquing. I I appreciate to hear what's fueling your... uh, Yeah. You're not quite adamant, but you're pretty strong against specifically Kendi and D'Angelo. You you lay down like this is really stupid. So now I'm kind of understanding watching. um, I'm putting myself in an imagined perspective from your point of view of watching... Mm -hmm their ideology or their uh, I guess their way of dealing with racism, take over a church, yeah. take over yeah. your your life and maybe even take that from you. For yeah. me last year, I don't know if you know my origin story, but in 2017 there I was at the Evergreen State College and they yeah. had a big racial incident. Uh the incident itself was actually it didn't happen. There was actually it was based really on nothing actual substantial actually happened to black individuals, but because they could say that they were abducted by the police or taken out taken out of their bed at night and restrained and all this stuff, which was all a lie. Because the framework of the college was based on critical race theory, was based on mm-hmm. D'Angelo. She came to the campus. There was all these very strange religious ceremonies going wow. on. Like if you watch the footage, you'll see just how religious they were getting with like the singing and the exhortations of believing play this believing game we need to you know change uh, you know we we need to stop racism etc and the campus blew up and the students filmed the whole thing and streamed it all live thinking that they were in the right but they were acting they were acting off the charts they had lost all sense of personal respect and respect for each other they didn't even respect themselves insofar as they acted like sorry to say this they acted like buffoons Mm -hmm. And they had no notion of all these just bedrock principles (laughs) that I kind of take for granted. Um, One, because I grew up in the church. Two, because I I spent a lot of time teaching children in preschool how to manage their behavior in order to be civil. And that was all gone. So that was really Mm -hmm. traumatic when it happened. And I spent several years divulging everything I could about what caused that to happen at Evergreen and yeah. all of the different um, belief systems that were in place and all the different, the whole story, I put it all together. And then when that stuff started happening last year, mm-hmm. I, I panicked because I saw organizations uh, that I'm connected to start to push the same equity, diversity, inclusion stuff. And yeah. I'm like, this stuff is toxic. And then watching the whole world just <laughs> catch on fire, you know, and then yeah. furthermore, it's not just the riots, but it's all the diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, training that then swoops in and captures every single organization that is, it's just, it's icky. And yeah. I had, I had a moment of panic and I spent a lot of last summer, uh, working through my issues and trying to platform right. people, um, that uh, have what I think of as salient critiques of that. And then also trying to figure out what's something better. Um, mm-hmm. It's not new. It's actually pretty old. Uh, and that's uh, somewhat of why I resonate with you, because uh, you're, mm-hmm. you're talking about something very ancient, but is always so new because we always forget it. Just this
2: yes. well, principle well of f-
0: forgiveness. Mm-hmm. What is your history in Christianity? Have you always is that always been a part of your family, or did you fall into it,
2: find it Um, at some
1: point? Great question. I my family wasn't super religious when I was growing up. Uh, We were Anglican and Anglican family, so we'd go to um, sort of the main church in Kampala, which was All Saints Cathedral. But like, there wasn't really a like you know like God discussion at home. Uh, When I was eight, I started just like cold reading the Bible. Um, And then when I was 14, um, I really kind of gave my life to God and like really was, I would say like I became a born again Christian, like for real, for real, when I was 14. Um, And then... What
0: sparked that?
1: Wow. um, I think to be very vivid, there was a, I was trying to assess my priorities in life at that time. And I think I, I mentioned sort of something like business, family, uh, something, something. And then the last one was God. And to me, I was like, wait, that's kind of out of order. And I was like in my bed at the time. I was like, this is weird. Why did I say God last? That Shouldn't he be the first? And I think that kind of was a catalyst. Um, and I remember I, I think the next day I literally went to um, the library and just got like Christianity Today and started reading it. It was very just like dry, like, No prompting, um, just sort of deciding that I think I'm going to put God first because he's kind of been faithful uh, throughout my life. This was in South Africa. Um, Yeah.
2: Hmm.
1: It just happened. It really just happened. And then my interest in apologetics kind of grew towards the end of, um, what do you call it, high school, along with debating. I was very interested in debating and apologetics. Hmm. Uh, So that was kind of like a passion of mine. But when I left South Africa, got into college, then that's when my ideology kind of shifted. And once I was out of, when I came back to forgiveness, the whole forgiveness thing in like 2018, coming to 2019, I shifted back. So I was like, wait, this is contradictory to everything that I was passionate about when I was in high school. So hmm. I kind of was like, wait, postmodernism, who? Like, I, I was just like, wait, this is everything I was against. So, hmm. um, yeah.
0: Did the transition from, and c- tell me to change the words if you want different words, but going from Christianity Mm -hmm. to social justice, was that a very smooth transition Did that? Did social justice make sense? And how did it make sense from your Christian point of view?
1: Well, so, okay, this is, I think, um, kind of, you might, you might've heard something similar from a lot of people, but I wasn't conscious of this being an ideology creeping in the way I, embraced it was because i was because of some professors not all but some professors would just disperse it as truth it was just like this is how the world is and so you're this like novice you're new to the world i was new to america let alone like Mm -hmm. just my, my this new era in life so i was like i trust these guys i mean i'm paying money to go to this college um i trust them to be telling me the truth um so no one was explicitly like And now I'm about to teach you a principle from critical theory. It was just like, and there's the hegemony and it exists and this is what it is. And so you just kind of accept that as like, okay, um, you know, I I have compassion for those who are struggling in life. So yeah, sure. I want to like help good intentions kind of like lead you down this road. Um, And then before you know it, it's just like you're holding two ideas in your head at the same time. I literally remember just being like able to switch between like, you know, kind of wokist ideology and like Christianity. But I thought that it was like this is how it's supposed to be. Um not until it be- became physically crippling to keep up with that. That I was like, something's like something's off, something's not right about this. Um and then that's when I began to kind of take note of a lot of things that had kind of become embedded in my worldview just begin to shed off a lot of offense. That's where it started. And then it just like became this year long journey of Mm -hmm. trying to understand and remove and separate everything that wasn't compatible with my Christian faith and grounding.
0: Did you experience alienation from society or from your friend group when you went on that journey or was that
1: unaffected? Well, I think I cut off a lot of, people because of uh microaggressions prior to that so i it was a lonely journey because i was like oh everyone's gone like common denominator me i was like why what's going on like not everyone can be this evil i can't just be the right person all the time you know so that journey was lonely because of that because i had cut a lot of people off um just because like whiteness was too much um and then as I began this journey of forgiveness, kind of towards the end of 2019 and into, I did, I did have sort of a switch in friend groups to like uh, sort of more woke friends, I guess, people who are kind of sensitive to a lot of the ideas of wokeness. Um, but then as I came into this journey of forgiveness towards the tail end, I wanted to restore a lot of those friendships and relationships, even if we never actually came back like fully like buddy-buddy, Um, Mm -hmm. at least just expressing like, I'm sorry for um, being weird. That was my phrasing. I just didn't know what to call it. It was like, I'm sorry that I was just so weird. Like, I was going through a lot. And I had kind of believed a lot of craziness. And I hope you can forgive me. Um, So yeah, I'm not exactly friends with the people that I was back then. But at least I'm trying to like make amends right now.
0: Hmm. So that ideology or that cohort of beliefs and ideas that we could just lump into wokeness right now or critical Mm -hmm. social justice that caused you to sever ties with other human beings that caused you to isolate yourself
1: yeah because it was like everything anyone ever did was like i could interpret that in like the lens of like this is microaggression like not even just microaggression but you know you're acting out of these things because you're you're white like everything everyone did whether they knew it or they didn't Hmm. was in response to me being a black person in proximity to them um i couldn't understand it any other way so it was like if someone say if i sat down and someone scooted over like that's a microaggression if i wave to someone walking and they don't say anything back that's a microaggression if someone closes the door, like, you know how someone would be courteous and, like, open the door for you if you're, like, a short distance away? If someone didn't do that, that's another microaggression. So, you count and calculate all these things in a day and it, say if it's the same party over and over again, it's, like, I literally can't be in your presence because you do all these things that are just, like, violent and harmful. Um, so, like, bye-bye. Like, I don't even say anything. I would just ghost people. Hmm. Um it was just like, I don't even know how to verbalize what you're doing. It's just like, you're you like, caused me so much pain. Um, so yeah, that's how, that's how it kind of went down in my life.
0: Did you narrow your friend group down to just, sorry to use this term, people of color towards the end of that? Or did it, you mostly just push away people that you perceived of as being white or possessed by the whiteness or whatever?
1: Yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't say I, I necessarily just only wanted to be surrounded by people of color. I think I, I just wanted to be surrounded with more hip woke people. So whether they were white or black, like just that they were kind of more conscientious towards like that whole thing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, not necessarily specifically people of color, although like I've always kind of had like a mixed group of friends. Yeah.
0: Do you, was there a certain point in your journey? Um, of towards forgiveness and towards uh, being free that you one day you looked at you you saw whiteness everywhere and then the other day it just kind of disappeared or did whiteness, does whiteness still exist? Do you understand what what that is? Is it a thing? Is it Um, useful still?
1: I feel like I I got very analytical towards the end of 2018 so it's kind of obsessed with productivity and productivity hacks. So I was like, hmm. why? I had this self-critique where I was like, why, why am I not as productive as like person A, person B? And so that kind of led me to take this like personal inventory that included why am I anxious all the time? Why do I feel like someone could poke me and I'll just like fall back? Um, so that productivity like obsession kind of led me into that journey of like questioning where I got my anxiety from but then it progressed into like wanting definite answers for things so i was like what exactly is whiteness and like everyone that i've accused, like when does it end what are the like what are the boundaries like what is it well how do you define it i was like does me getting into skateboarding mean that i am um kind of submitting to whiteness because aren't i like kind of acting in a contradictory way like skateboarding is very white like Am I absorbing whiteness? So I just began to critique those boundaries more and more. It was sort of hard for me to define it. So I was like, hmm, let me go back to those friends that I assumed they were just like the whitest of white and sort of just rebuilt, rebuilt friendships and got to know them for them and not mm. not them as the white sort of image that I had before, if that makes sense. Okay. So now, um, I remember I was, uh, this was 2020 because of that process of critique, forgiveness, letting go of offense, making amends, trying to understand whiteness and racism. Um, I sort of felt like if someone has a problem with me, it's kind of their problem. Like it's not, it's a matter of insecurity. It's a matter of kind of overcompensation. Um, and that's kind of how that, that shaped my now ideology. So this one time I was on a bus, and this white guy just got on, and he just looked around, everyone's wearing masks, and he was like, like, F-U-N word. Like, he was like, you don't wear masks, and stuff like that, and he just rang the bell and got off the bus. But in that moment, I noticed that I was like, oh, I really feel sorry for him. I was like, whoa, that guy's like, insane and prior to that like say if this was 2016 I would have like been like oh my god this guy called me the n-word like I need to like you know report him I need to find out who he is so that was in that moment I realized like oh I'm perceiving people differently now because Mm -hmm. of this church like I don't see it as like oh you're you know you're attacking me I'm just like dude I feel sorry for you like you have an illness or there's some sort of like Something that happened happened to you in your childhood that makes you want to insult people and use these these terms and slurs. So, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. That, again, that really helps me understand the bee in your bonnet about critical race theory. (laughs) Yeah. Being this, uh, to use a Marxist term, a a false consciousness or a narrative that you're laying over everything that increases or decreases your productivity, decreases your, maybe even your empowerment and your yeah. freedom, increases your anxiety, instability, and I I suppose submits you to every slight in the world. It, yes. You are always submitted to being harmed.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's not even, I mean, you don't even have a moment to digest any incident. It's just the incident happens and it's happened to you And you absorb it um there's no like interface of like wait like do do i even have an option to accept this insult that's why i have a huge beef with it because it ultimately it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like you look for the racism and you accept the racism and then you are the victim of the racism Mm -hmm. um and and as a black individual that sets me back even productivity-wise Um, I can't go through the day and fulfill, say, like 20 tasks compared to like person A who doesn't have the worldview of microaggressions. I will do like 10 because every moment I'm kind of like too nervous, too anxious to really give it my 100% effort.
0: Yeah. At the Evergreen State College, they uh, quoted... Robin D'Angelo and they really mm-hmm. believed this, that it, the question isn't if racism happened, it's how it happened. So it's already sure. there. And mm-hmm. then that, that was in 2015. And then the, the fruit of that was the protest in 2017. And then there's, mm-hmm. this, uh, there's this set of footage where a bunch of the black protesters are with the president of the college and his uh, vice presidents and the deans and stuff like that. And this one black girl is that she says, I can't, I came here to study. I can't even study because I'm so worried about racism all the time. And she's saying that in a state of you need to fix all this racism, not really comprehending that they are the ones who are teaching him, teaching her to process Mm -hmm. all this stuff in one direction where there is no resolution. And the if you watch the documentary, the people have watched the documentary. People are always Mm -hmm. asking, why are they what are what do they want? What are they trying to get? Mm-hmm. What actually happened, and they're just running this process. They're running this story yeah. and showing that the story doesn't have any resolution. Only revolution. That's wow. all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. And it, it, it's mind-boggling outside of it to, to look to look and try to figure it out. But it, unless you understand that there's, n- it doesn't do anything other than perpetuate yeah. itself.
1: Absolutely. Um Yeah, I was like, it's not. <laughs> I was like, for me, it's not fair. So I have to figure out how to control as much as I could control. Um, mm-hmm. That's not going to stop racists who are like, "Oh, I want to ruin your day." Um, I was like, mm-hmm. how can I defi- Like, how can I fortify myself to the extent that I can laugh at stuff like that, so that I can complete my twenty tasks in a day, for example? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is definitely a very cyclical thing, and I I have so much compassion because I know what it feels mm-hmm. like. I I know what that girl feel like. I know that feeling of like, I want you to stop doing that in order for me to be able to function. But it's like, can we really control everyone's behavior so that we can just like, like live? I don't know. So yeah, it's, it's really, Mm. it breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart. Cause it's ultimately a compassion that still comes out of racial justice. I want black people to excel just as much as any other group. So People think that whenever I say, whenever I'm like forgiveness, they think that I'm just like denying racism. I'm okay. like, no, I'm literally saying I want you to be empowered so much so that anything that happens against you doesn't ruin you and you can rise above and it starts with you. It really, it you cannot control the existence of other people. People will be people. Evil will be evil.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that there's a... To forgive can seem like you're diminishing the problem, and in a sense, you are. You're you're diminishing its power over you. First and foremost, you're not saying that evil isn't evil or that Mm -hmm. bad things aren't bad. You're saying you're taking a different interpretive lens and you're reframing the perception of the worldview how have you moved from an internal state of figuring this stuff out to, and I guess this is your channel at this point. How have you seen your attitude affect people positive, positively or negatively? This, this different attitude of forgiveness.
1: Um, I, I think people are initially, it was just met with people would say like, okay, that's cause you haven't experienced racism. Um, I literally would get that response and I'm like, like what, what prompts you to say that? Like, to just be like, okay, I think your life um, is unique and exceptional. And you would only come to that conclusion because you haven't experienced racism. If you had even like an inkling of it, you would know how painful it is. Um. So I was, I was very, I was hurt by that. Like, it just felt so demeaning to be like, okay, you, you don't really know what you're talking about. But then I, re- I remembered a lot of the life of Nelson Mandela. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this changed like a whole group of people who were about to die. Um, and it radically stopped like a nation from falling into the brink of like civil war forever and ever perpetually. And then I, I went back to Mandela's life and I was like, no, I'm actually, I'm not tripping. Like this is, this is proven to do damage. And so I think once I started to bring up the example of Nelson Mandela, okay, it was sort of proof of like, I'm not just like saying this empty headed, you know, like garbage, this is actually a scientific proof. And then I, then after I stumbled onto Desmond Tutu who kind of worked closely with Nelson Mandela and his thesis was even strong, stronger than mine in that after years and decades of protesting, being tear gassed, being, uh, I don't know if he was put in jail, but I know like he suffered a lot. Like he went to the forefront. He had a meeting with the, one of the apartheid presidents. His, he's written two books on forgiveness. I was like, if someone who has gone to that depth comes out with that thesis, I'm sure that, that this has some merit to it. I'm sure this idea isn't just like empty-headed at all. And so I think because of that proof, people are kind of taking it seriously now. They're like, okay, I have to admit, I don't know a lot about Nelson Mandela. I feel like a lot of American hmm. citizens don't know a lot about um, the apartheid struggle. Um, So kind of sharing that people are more intrigued and more inclined to learn. Um, What would you call that? Like social proof, like learning that this actually is like an historical thing. Um, It's sort of giving people power to like look into it a bit more. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. I would agree with that. And in our, uh, in the discourse, uh, the American centric discourse, we have Martin Luther Jr., Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s story is now, it's kind of, it's been recycled so many times that it's distilled into these talking points that kind of rest against each other, such as the famous speech, I Have a Dream judge people on the content of their character not the color of their skin but then there's the mm-hmm. letter from the Birmingham jail where he's saying mm-hmm. you know we need to he's he's a little bit more fiery in that one and saying that the white liberal is uh, you know mm-hmm. so disappointed in the white liberal blah 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 and mm-hmm. because he's such a symbol for in in our march in our in our nation's story in which civil rights is a very big pillar of our value and our morality and mm-hmm. how right now it's being inverted and turned and being used to justify the reverse of what it was, yeah, which is that, ignore the content of character because the system has all the power and the system Mm -hmm. needs to be changed and the system, not the individual is where we're going to put all of our focus and Mm every, every individual's experience. If like when people say that you haven't experienced racism and that allows you to think that you could forgive it, Mm -hmm. um, they're thinking, in this uh, in this whole worldview, this critical social critical theory worldview, that doesn't really include the individual so much. Yeah. It's collectivist. It's Marxist, and it's it's systemic. It's very systemic. It's very, I guess the the, the most real part of it is this statistical level of analysis of seeing people as money makers and looking at the economics and looking at the crime statistics, looking at people statistically rather than Mm -hmm. looking at people individually. And so when somebody stands up against that, they kind of try to tear away your individual experience because it's going against their, uh, their bigger uh, plan.
1: Yeah. It's um, I've always had a tough time reconciling that. I think the whole entire time, even when I was woke, was like, we're still like individual humans behind these systems. Like, I, I don't know how, how we're able to separate the system from the people. I mean, mm. the courts, the, everyone, it's all people. Like at the end of the day, none of these systems came into play um, just like out of thin air. Like they weren't just like deposited. I'm, I have a hard time like understanding that part. I also have a hard time understanding the redefining of racism. Just cause I'm like, like, what do you mean? It doesn't make sense to me. Like pure honesty, like it doesn't make any sense cause at the same time, I mean, we're still individuals. Like sure, you can argue that it's a system but it's still individuals maybe conspiring. It still goes down to the heart issues at the end of the day. Um, hmm. I don't know. So I, I, I honestly, I'm like, that's still the, the classic definition of racism. I don't know why we have to expand it. Maybe hyphenate the term. Or I don't know, but I don't get why we have to redefine it. I know Kendi tried to like give this explanation of racism that included racism in the explanation. It was very confusing. But yeah, I don't, I (laughs) honestly, I've kind of like thrown away the whole.
0: It's hard to, it's hard to keep, hold Kendi to account (laughs) on so many different levels. The intellectual, it's either paucity or dishonesty. And you can't even tell which. Can't tell is this yeah. guy is he not all together or he is together but he's playing a grift? Yeah, but he really believes in it. So, th- th- but th- does that mean he's stupid? I don't know. Like I don't want to slander him at all, but like it's really like when you actually like think through the these ideas. He yeah. published a um, an article. I think it was just around just prior to the election in twenty twenty, where he says that racism is the soul the the soul of America or the the project is to is the war of the two souls of America and one soul is evil and it's white and it's Trump and the other soul is good. And it was total Manichaean. It was totally, there's, there's these two Hegelian, you know, thesis and antithesis, and we have to completely eradicate the evil racist white soul. And you're like, well, if you do the math on that, that leads to people actually destroying white people. Even if you say whiteness isn't white people, eventually that's where it leads. And I don't yeah. see how you not see that. I don't see how you yeah, not yeah,
1: see Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have, um, I think one of my first, um, I really felt prompted to say this last year. Hmm. There there has been a pattern of associating an individual with evil. Like you you see a person as evil in their entirety. You don't see a person with evil actions. It's like you embed the two. And when I look to what's happening in the United States and then I compare that with like the Rwanda situation, compare that to like the Holocaust, compare that to like the gulags. I'm like, do we not see like, you know how you, you separate mammals? You know, you're like, how do we classify mammals? You know, they have these characteristics. You kind of put them in a characteristics table. I, I did the same thing with like, look at all these things in the past that have led to genocide and then look at the fact that they, they in in and of itself, they kind of dehumanize a person in order to make them expendable, like in order to exterminate them. Um, in Rwanda, they, they called uh, the people who that they, you know, they hated, it's kind of a taboo to use the term these days, they called them cockroaches. Yeah. Um, I, uh, the kulaks were a class of farmers, you know, like they had their nickname. You sort of have these nicknames that sort of remove the person. I don't know if whiteness is kind of the new thing, where it's like we're really talking about white people But like we say whiteness, um, Hmm. but it's going to it's ultimately going to lead to the person being uh, dehumanized and then attacked. Um, So I don't know. It really is very uh, it's very alarming for me, especially since people can't define the whiteness. It like scares me a lot, like literally whenever Hmm. I start getting like prepped for a video, that's usually because I start thinking about like, wait, people are not really coming to definite ends what this means um yeah it it just terrifies me I don't know
0: how has it been to get all this internet attention
1: honestly it's been it's been overwhelming in the sense that like I've been uh dealing with I feel like a lot of people are are kind of coming to me in the dms and me like I really appreciate what you're doing, but I can't speak up. Um, I think that's been the most jarring thing is like so many people, um, even people who are like, I would would say like they present woke, if that makes sense. Um, Still kind of- They're woke passing. Woke passing, yes. Um, (laughs) I've just kind of had a lot of people sort of express the same sentiment um, so much so that I'm convinced that the majority of people, I think, kind of share the same sort of emperor has no clothes type of thinking. It's just a fear. So that's been very overwhelming. It's people just kind of emailing, DMing, being like, yo, I can't say anything. I mean, this is not like this is not like majority white people. I'm talking about a lot of people of color. Mostly um, who are like, I don't agree with it, but um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I can speak up. I'm scared of losing everything. That's been the main thing. The numbers kind of don't, they're sort of just abstract. Um, I don't like, I don't get anything out of that, but the the content of the emails really just like, I'm like touched by that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I've been, again, goes back to my origin story. There was most people didn't believe in this critical race theory. They were just doing their job. There was a silent majority that got swayed by the radical few and the yeah. radical few, the radical few had certain tools to scare or to make it inconvenient or very costly to go against them, uh, by, yeah. you know, social ostracization mm-hmm. uh, or other, you know, acts of petty or grand vengeance. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I've been trying to part of my work is to platform people who are being brave. And part of my mm. interviews are just let's find people who are being brave and and lift up those voices because every once in a while that you know or after people listen to enough of those stories they'll they'll start doing the math well if I don't stand up then everything's lost anyways, you know, so I might as well, I might as well lose in the short term, if I'm saving something so that people can gain and other people don't have to lose in the long run. So
1: absolutely. And Bravo for like, platforming so many people, I, it's making a huge impact. And I don't know if you kind of get the same um, sort of like, sidebar DMs, but it's, it really, I think it makes a lot of difference. It empowers people just that much more to be like, okay, if they can do that and like no one's attacked them or sent them like anthrax or anything, then maybe I could do the same. So yeah, and, and I think we, we, to anyone who's watching this, I think we just need to kind of come to terms like if we keep quiet, like Benjamin said, like all of this could end up, like we'll be in trouble either way. Like if we stay silent, then like we're gonna have a horrible dystopian future, but if we speak up, we might lose everything, but at least we made the effort. Um, I I had to be like, I'm ready to die. Like I really, I don't wanna be extreme or like, you know, too crazy, but I really had to come with the terms like, I could just get shot um, on the street, but is that fine? Yeah, that's fine. I really believe in what I'm saying so much so that like, I'm ready to, I'm literally ready to perish. but it's, I don't think it's going to come to that. You know what I mean? It's just like an inter- internal assessment. Like, is what I'm saying really worth putting myself out there? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of people need to kind of reach that point to be like, it's not really worth it to say, oh, I need a job or something. It's like, Ultimately, your job might disappear because we might end up just like living in pods and eating bugs. I don't know. It sounds stupid, but, you know, it's like kind of assess these things and then determine is it worth speaking out? And I think it is against all the costs.
0: I have a sense that everything that you're doing and that you are follows from that girl in her bed at 14, making a list of her priorities and starting with number one like number one is God. And then everything follows that. And I don't know, uh, I should phrase this as a question, but it feels like when you make a calculation that's so extreme that you say I'm ready to die, it's because you've already figured out that your life is subservient to something greater than your life.
1: Absolutely. That is so well said. Yeah. Yeah. 100%.
0: How did you get into skateboarding?
1: Ah, great question. Um, I really was obsessed with the X Games when I was, like, nine. Um, <clears throat> and I, I loved watching, like, Andy McDonald, Tony Hawk on, like, the vert competitions. Um, and, and a few of my middle school friends loved it as well. Um, and our we had, like, a family skateboard, you know, like one of the toys hanging around. So I would just, like, go back and forth in my driveway. But before, you know, before I knew it, it was... Something that consumed all of my thinking my day-to-day like after school. I couldn't wait home to get you know I couldn't wait to get home and skate um, but hmm. then I Think I just got super conscious of like the fact that I was like the only girl and a and a black girl albeit um, That was into skateboarding when I was in high school so I just put it down because That kind of creeps into your consciousness. You're like, I don't yeah. want to be like the outcast so I put it down for a very long time and then after college like 2019 um uh I kind of noticed a few girls skateboarding on Instagram like people were really getting into it in LA and I that that old passion kind of rose up again and I was like you know what like YOLO like you only live once I think I'm gonna get back into this got a board just started you know meeting people and skateboarding um Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, it's just sort of been a fun hobby ever since. Um, I'm not trying to be Tony Hawk or anything. I'm just trying to have fun. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: what do you, you, what are you working on now as far as skateboard moves? There, there's a bunch of moves you work on, right? That's kind of what skateboarding is. Right? Yes. Yeah.
1: That's, that's right. Um, I am kind of caught up with uh, front 180s, which is just, you know, turning the board front side and then back 180s. I can do them, but they're very um, weak. So I'm trying to just strengthen that. Um, mm. and I think this is an interesting thing that transcends across the board of like my life is that I try not to compare to other people. Um, like if I'm not on, if I, I can't do kickflips, for example, right? But that doesn't make me any less of a skater. It just means that I can focus on what I'm focusing on right now. I work full time. Like I have to accept that there, this isn't my profession, my main profession. So I'm pretty content with just like focusing on my 180s right now. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Do you skate? And state? is No, I, I don't skate. Okay. I, okay. I have I go on catwalks. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, which means I, I walk cats.
1: <laughs> oh, you, I thought my, you cat walked like I thought you were like
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, there's some rafters above me and I just okay. kind of uh, I just walk along the rafters up there. No. I, I have a couple of cats and we go walking in the woods. That's
1: nice. Do you like have a a um, what do you call that? Like a leash for your cats, or do they just follow
0: no. you? Well, oh, we kind of nice. follow each other. We triangulate each other, and we kind of okay. just follow follow a path and just kind of go around in nice. a circle. Yeah, oh. that's the closest nice. closest thing. Yeah. Are you um? Are you mentioned in one of your videos that you wanted more uh, more people like you in skating? Do you are you yeah. kind of formulating some sort of club, some sort of cool girls um, club? Mm. Or, or maybe even working on uh, getting a camp going of some sort for, for young girls.
1: So I personally, when I said that statement, what I, what I was ultimately saying was like, I want to diffuse this like fear of, oh, I'm participating in whiteness. That was kind of my main thing of like, if you want to skate and you happen to be black and a girl, like don't let this notion of whiteness stop you or don't think that because it's a majority white sport that everyone's gonna like hate you. Um, That's something I, when I started skating again in 2019, I had that idea in my head, like, oh, like I'm gonna confront all these like, like toxic white males, cis white males and stuff. But then like when I when I actually was in the atmosphere, like the majority of people were like nice, Um, which again, served to kind of break me out of this bubble of like, wait, in real life, they're not actually like that. Like not all of them are like that. Um, So when I said that statement, I wanted to encourage like, don't, you know, you can watch Harry Potter. I remember someone commented in my video and said like, the fact that you use Harry Potter is a proof that you're like, you know, you're like you're a participant in whiteness or whatever, something like that. (laughs) I was just like, well, great. And it's funny that in turn, skateboarding and like Harry Potter gets accused of being too white. So it's like, what do you want? Do you want people to get in the sport? Do you want people to, like, not? So there's a lot of hypocrisy there. But, yeah, Yeah. I don't want people to have that fear. Like, if you want to skate, like, go out and skate. And so sometimes it does take the training wheels of being in a group of, like, okay, let's, let's all go to this one destination. We'll kind of encourage each other. We'll help each other drop in and stuff like that. So I don't do that formally as, like, I'm not an organization or anything. I do partner with, like people who host meetups and, um, organizations who do the same thing. But personally, I just want to be like, Hey, I'll be that. I'll be that friend that, you know, helps you kind of break the ice and like get into that environment. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't have to kind of really do it formally, but I try my best to encourage people to not fear that, you know,
0: your YouTube channel. uh, Yes. It started with some skate, uh, board videos and you've mm-hmm. been doing a lot of commentary the commentary is doing very well and it's very good commentary i'm wondering looking into mm-hmm. the future are you going to start mixing and matching what you do with your channel and yes. what do you think's on the horizon there
1: yeah absolutely i think right now the main focus um is is kind of getting this forgiveness journey out there um, I think there's a lot of things to t- to tackle, it's not just like forgive white people, there's so many aspects of life that fall into that sort of harboring of pain. But eventually I do mm. kind of want to mix and match, so yeah, it'll be a bit of opinions, um, and a bit of uh, vlogging, uh, some skateboarding as well. Um, yeah, we'll see, I have no idea, I wasn't anticipating any of this, so it's like, oh no. <laughs> What do I do? But yeah, I'm like, I don't mind. We'll we'll mix and match.
0: Yeah. Kimmy's forgiveness quest.
1: Amen. I love that. Yeah. That sounds great.
0: What, what are some of the things that are coming up, uh, I guess on your channel or around your channel or that people can key in to you? Do you have an album
1: coming out sometime? I don't Right at the time of this recording. I don't have anything happening, but Hopefully in the future, I will kind of be in like a space to do that. Um, I feel like I've just been so like dr- like drained, like I don't have any creative things to say. It's going to come. It's going to come. But that will be like maybe later this year or next year. Um, but you can anticipate maybe a lot more art um, uh, paintings. Uh, that's something I try to keep consistent. So I'll be posting a lot of art, I believe. And yeah. Lots of topics on forgiveness. Maybe just like my personal, my personal um, interactions with with people that I once feared. Um, I, I'm thinking of having something that is is um, along the lines of sort of talking to someone that I was in a diversity training with, and and looking back on that diversity training, and you know, going through what we were going through and going through what we were thinking at the time. Um, and that's sort of the that's sort of the stuff I'm going to be focusing on down the line.
0: Yeah, there yeah. is a great need for alternative forms of diversity training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I was first exposed to these diversity trainings, you know, I was again as an Evergreen State College, and I, it was mandatory. We have to talk about privilege, right? And I have This little privilege workshop, and like tally up your privileges and where were your underprivileges, and all I was thinking was like it was it was a few things I was thinking, but one was like it's a sin to envy. I'm not supposed to covet like I am not supposed it, like it's right there. It's like ten rules don't covet. Why would I make a big list of things to covet? like how is yes. that you know, like how does that even work out? and then yeah. plus it's a state it's a state college, so I'm like, you guys are trying to reinvent religion now you've you, yeah. you finally you got religion out of out of the state and now you're trying to recreate it, but it's so hobbled and hollow and technical. You don't just yeah. teach about love or charity or gratitude. You talk about privilege yeah. and whiteness and all these, uh, the, the opposite of what you want. If you want people to be nice to each other, why don't we talk about how to humanize people? No, we talk about how people are dehumanized and colonized and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I just, I was already playing out that math in my head. Like, you know how this ends, you know right. how this ends. And that's mm-hmm. exactly how it ended.
1: Yep exactly um oh, man i can't wait to like dive in and watch the the evergreen story like that's something that's been on like my watch list for a long time like i need to sit down with popcorn white cheddar popcorn and just chill and watch
0: this because you yeah. gonna be crazy
1: should but have
0: a watch party at some point
1: i i think that's a great idea like if you can do that i i'll be down to make an event out of that but hmm. um yeah I, these diversity trainings it does make me like for for me The coveting thing, like, I have been struggling to put that into words. I'm like, this is literally, it's in the Ten Commandments. But people couldn't tell you what the Ten Commandments are. So that's another issue. It's like you do away with, like, the religious stuff so people kind of forget. And then you fill that void, like, okay, now we got you. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird how we have this just, like, monolithic approach to it. It's just, bam, there you go. And if someone else like Chloe Valdary, like someone else brings a, a different approach, it's ridiculed. And mm. I'm like, what? So you want people to love you, but you don't want to talk about love. You, I, like to me, it just doesn't make sense. There's so many holes, so many gaps, so much like convolution. I'm like, let's 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 discredit this stuff as much as possible, so that people are kind of like ashamed to go to it, and then mm. we can bring in the sort of effective effective dialogue uh which includes forgiveness reconciliation in the true mm-hmm. sense not just like the fancy reconciliation um and love and humanity uh at the end of the day so yeah full disclosure i'm out to kind of discredit this whole like you know this anti-racism thing can't stand i had it. a
0: feeling i had a feeling you had
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, yeah it's on the agenda
0: hmm are you um one of your videos, you incorporated Bible verses uh, in, yes. uh, in that. Are you thinking about um, doing something a little bit more uh, focused on kind of building up like your belief system just so people can see like this is how you – this is what you believe. This is how you constructed your belief and this is this is where you're working from. Do you, do you have any yes. – Maybe that will happen organically or do you think you'll do it a little bit more analytically?
1: hmm so right now I'm kind of prepping this um, like a a path I want to say that I sort of followed, um, but like anyone can apply like religiously or not. It's kind of
2: hmm.
1: something that you could do. It doesn't require a submission to like the Christian deity. It's, it's sort of just a you can you can work with this if you want to, right personally I'm a Christian that's very part of my story I feel like I would be lying to people if I held back in that sense um, and I, I have a very strong thing about lying like I try my best not to lie it's a very Jordan Peterson thing I'm like just tell the truth like I don't care if you criticize me I am just gonna like say it um, but yeah I will I mean there will be Bible verses I feel like the golden rule is something that transcends a lot of religions which is just treat others how you want to be treated that's something we're kind of shoving to the side a lot. And I'm like, it's like a very foundational truth for a lot of belief systems. So Hmm. we need to like bring that up a lot, like bring that back, put it to the forefront, make it serious. Um, So that's why that was the prompting behind that. Uh, Mm -hmm. The fact that a lot of pastors are sort of skirting around these main tenants of forgiveness. I can't even count how many examples Jesus used of forgiveness. And it's like, Still, no one wants to address that. Um, I watched this horrible video of like Southern Baptist pastors just talking in this like anti-racist, like critical social justice lingo, and not one mention of forgiveness or what would Christ do. Like, so yeah, I want to bring those basic truths mm-hmm. back to the forefront. Um, just to be like, kind of, this is what our religion was founded on, and uh, you can take it or leave it, but let's not ignore, like, this doesn't exist. Like, love your enemies. That's a very obvious one. But people want to act like Jesus never said that. I'm, it, it, he was very serious about that, very strong on it. So, hmm. yeah, I will, be, I will be infusing that sort of, um, you know, speech into that.
0: Yeah, the church could use voices such as yours. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, there's something adaptive about wokeness, critical social justice, etc. To Christianity, I think it's formed in the shadow of Christianity. I think it's yeah. It's a part of um, a, a great uh, unfolding story of the West, and it's yeah. it's a dialogue within. It's it's a recreated Christianity. Um, kind of hobbled religion but it's it's all it all owes to our i think one way that it propagates is because white uh I really I don't like thinking about this but western people have been through christianity we've our our culture is really thought a lot about guilt and thought a lot about being a good person. And if you can start to tell people that they're guilty, that's the other thing. When I was in this diversity workshop, this Mm -hmm. privilege workshop, I could feel that what they wanted was me to hand over my guilt and my shame to them. Mm -hmm. And I use that as my guiding compass. That's a part of my morality. If I feel shame, if I wake up Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, I'm feeling really guilty or anxious or shameful. There's something in my life That I'm not doing correctly, whether it's an attitude or behavior and it's something that I need to course correct. If I hand that over to somebody else, then they can start to shape my behavior. Everything else that Mm -hmm. I am follows from that guilt and that shame. And and that was just something that has been fostered within my religion and within my culture. Yeah pay attention to that and so this wokeness starts to attribute shame and guilt robin d'angelo she even says so i'm not she's a catholic she's like i don't want you to feel guilty and i don't i'm this i'm not trying to make you feel guilty that's all you're doing that's all it's like it's getting its tendrils into people's guilt and then they can see the the world the, the, the way that you want them yeah to see the world and and so far as Christianity is, has a predilection towards guilt and mm-hmm. uh, that's a perennial conversation within Christianity, mm-hmm. wokeness is ready to just kind of burn through the whole thing because it, because yeah. it operates on guilt. And so yeah. uh, anti, anti that, which would be forgiveness, mm-hmm. which again, doesn't diminish evil. It doesn't diminish what you're guilty for, but it diminishes its power over you so that you can correct yourself. Right.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's, For me, I see the the religious use, like the religious pattern that critical social justice follows, but it is absent of redemption. Like There's no redemptive arc. Um, It's just sort of like, give me your guilt and let me capitalize on your guilt. Whereas Christ kind of, I I compare critical, critical social justice a lot to like the Pharisees. Um, because they were obsessive over being good and being right in the eyes of God, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there was no compassion or love in that uh, righteousness. Whereas Jesus came in and said, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Like, you look good on the outside, and your heart is, like, super corrupt because there's no love, there's no empathy. You Mm -hmm. criticize me for healing on the Sabbath, but I just healed someone. Like, that means nothing to you? So I see, like... I see how they're using religion, kind of in like the Catholic tradition, but ultimately I go back to Jesus and I'm like, he was very much about, yes, we have all sinned, we've fallen short, but I don't want you to wallow in that guilt and shame, and I'm here to deliver you of a debt that you could never pay back because of the the, the enormity of that mm. guilt or sin. Um, which I, th- that's that's what's missing in this other religion. It's like it doesn't have that redemptive art. Maybe if you pay Robin D'Angelo to come in, sort of <laughs> some sort of penance, but
0: sprinkle um, her little holy white tears yes. upon you, and then he can be
1: saved. <laughs> Something of that sort. I think that's the plan, but yeah, uh,
0: hmm.
1: yeah, that's a very hmm. interesting way you put that.
0: Where uh, can people find your art? My, do you have like an Instagram or do you have a little gallery, a web gallery or something like that where you yes, post it? Yes.
1: I do have an Instagram that is my art Instagram. It is at K I M I Kimmy Katiti, K A T I T I art. And then I have a main page that I post sort of like life and music, which is just hmm. Kimi Katiti, K I M I K A T I T I. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram, not on Twitter anymore, um, and on you...
2: YouTube
0: kicked twitter out of your life yes maybe you'll come back uh reborn again at some point
1: (sighs) Uh, i don't know it's
0: good if you want to get in trouble i I get in trouble every a few times a week you know so
1: sad but all the best to you i think you're doing a great job i think people who are able to handle that platform and be effective on it (laughs) sadly
0: well it's good that you have the self-consciousness Would you have any interest in allowing me to include one of your tracks into this show if it's not uh, owned by uh, one of those major record companies that would come through and, and demonetize or shut me down?
1: Um, I'm very honored that you would ask that. Um, I would say, go ahead. You have all the permission, although I don't know how my distribution works with YouTube. It might be like, Hey, you're using something, but I, I can like go for it. Like we'll, we'll figure it out at the end of the okay. day. But yeah, right. thank you so much. I really appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Thank, thank you for your time, Kimmy.
1: Yay. <clears throat>
2: Brittle, all up in them. Coffee is like cotton candy, pull it like a cigarette Losing all my sense of reasoning and rhythm None of the clothes I'm wearing complement my natural measurements I only have enough for one bus trip Then my grip takes wet and I bust my lip I'd Nicotine is not my key So I don't blow steam, I just think it's disgusting I'm a Whole weights, a dumbbell and to myself I curl up in my bed another day to take a nap A comma, a common contraceptive A case of not blessed, the distress, feel abandoned on the shelf Something my mama said about days like this Where the gray sky splits for some play lightning But through a different lens It could be great lightning. Oh, she can be handy with the day Wallow in my sad way, constipation, gastro, filled, mad, close, sent to be for catch smoke. I don't want my back broke, I don't cross the gap, though. Lifeline, do I want to call a friend? This phone sucks, fight, but someone presents. Everyone is glistening in copper tones. Gum, up on the soul of my shoe again. Bills in the mail, I got bills in the mail. I get paid, but the bills will prevail. New Adidas must be nice where you live. The ground might as well open and take me to hell Something my mama said about days like this Where the grey sky splits for some pale lightning But through a different lens it could be great lighting You go, to Kelly handy with the day-night club